0: Well, good morning and welcome to Renaissance Church. This fall, we have been studying together the images used in the New Testament to depict the church, to shape self-understanding in order to increase our impact altogether as a community of people who've been given a mission by God. This morning, we will continue as we consider the image of ambassadors, official representatives who are sent to a foreign land with a specific task to be carried out on behalf of a figure of authority. The apostle Paul is going to teach us that we are ambassadors for Christ. That is official representatives of Jesus sent by him into this world, which in many ways is still foreign territory to his goodness and his grace. Don't you know that? which is still widely unknown in our towns and in our places of work, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, and in our homes too. And in order to hear more effectively what Paul means us to teach about how we're called to be ambassadors, I'm going to show you a very old story in which... God does something remarkable to completely transform an impossibly miserable situation, making everything which was wrong okay. Have any of you ever longed for that kind of experience in life? That God would come into an impossibly difficult situation and do what was required to make everything okay? Have you ever wanted that? Yes, there's a story that is told long ago, 900 years before Jesus comes in which God does just that, he overturns a situation which is impossibly difficult, making everything okay. And it's gonna teach us this morning how to look at ourselves as ambassadors for Christ. It's gonna help unfold for us what Paul taught those people in Corinth so that we can be the people that God has made us to be. The action in this story is set in the ancient city of Samaria. And that was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel at the time. And the central characters who are going to show us who we are, are four leprous men. I am going to compare you to lepers this morning, okay? If you feel that's unfair, get over it. These are men who have been officially excluded from life within the city and all of the benefits that usually go along with life inside the city because of an ailment That they can't change. And and, and because of this, they've been made to live outside of the city gates begging. And ordinarily, they live off the handouts of that come from travelers who are either going to the city or leaving the city. Crusts of bread or a cup of water given out of pity. But when we meet them in this story, they are doing especially poorly, precisely because of the lack of foot traffic in and out of the city of Samaria, because At this point in its history, Samaria is under siege from a foreign army made up of the Aramean soldiers. Uh, Let me explain siege. Uh, Samaria was selected as the capital city because of its geography. It was located on the top of a hill that was surrounded on all sides by a valley. And if you know ancient warfare, you know that ordinarily that means the upper hand whenever there's a battle because you wanna be on the high ground. And that works all the time except when the strategy used by the foreign army is to put your city under siege. What the Arameans did is they gathered all their men and they gathered tents and they stocked those tents with many months of supplies and they set up a great ring in the valley around the city. And that meant that no one could come in with supplies and no one would go out. So effectively, the army was starving the city to death. And in this particular situation, For the first time in the history of Samaria, life is just as bad for everybody inside the city as it used to be only for the lepers. And that's that's the setting of the story. Now, listen to the way the narrator depicts what it's like in Samaria. This is verse 25 of chapter six in 2 Kings. As the siege continued, famine in Samaria became so great that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. A donkey's head is the last thing in in the, the entire world that anyone would eat. Only if you were desperately starving would you even consider consuming it. And 80 shekels of silver at this point in history is what an average family earned in an entire year. And in the city, it's so bad you can't even get that. Uh, Dove's dung is the fuel that's used to start a fire for cooking your food. Five shekels of silver, that's what you earn in a month. You can't even buy food, fuel, and fire with a month's wages. And here is a depiction of how desperately awful it is inside the city walls of Samaria. Now, a story is recounted after this initial opening, which is so horrendous, it's hard to even say. Uh, So prepare yourselves. Uh, Two women are introduced both of whom are starving. They both have young sons who are also starving and whose death is coming soon. And so they make a deal together that they will consume each other's children to live. And the first child is consumed. And then the second woman decides to to retract her offer and, and retain her child. And this results in the king of Samaria being invited in to try to arbitrate in that conflict. Can you imagine? Uh, When I first read this story, which was back in in the late 90s, uh, I thought to myself, well, this is obviously an exaggeration. Life is never that bad. And I have to say in the last 20 years, I think this is is not an exaggeration, that this is exactly what it's like in our world. Do you know that? not just figuratively, but also literally, that we live in a time where it's gotten so bad that our children are being consumed because of the scarcity that exists all around us, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. The world is in just such a state that it is not a safe place for anyone to be. Uh, It happens in the wars in foreign lands far away, but it also happens in the back alleys of our own towns. Do you know that? that the problems that we face are consuming our children. It happens uh, in the crowded squares where cars are made into bombs, but also online with words that are sharpened like swords. Do you know that? In the, in the narrative, uh, after telling the king, the king is so dismayed, he tears his clothing, which is not what you want your leader to do when things go bad, but that's what he does. And then he voices his own interpretation of why things have become so awful. Look at what he says in verse 33 of chapter 6. This trouble, he says, is from the Lord. Why should I hope in the Lord any longer? Have you ever had things go so bad and you think it must be God's fault? That's why things are as miserable as they are. Could you acknowledge ever feeling like that? That's what the leader of God's people thinks in this moment. Because that's how awful it is. He says, God must have forsaken us. But the truth is not that God has done something to them, but rather they as a people had turned away from God. And this is a theme that runs from the very beginning of our introduction to God and his people. It is not that God punishes people when they're bad, although you can find strands of that if you want to, but rather every time a man or a woman or a people altogether go away from God, it gets worse for them. Do you know that? Some of you will know that. Here we see it on a social scale that here we find ourselves invited into a moment in history where all of the people of God had turned away from him and the result was that life had become for them so utterly desperate that they did the most ugly and despicable things imaginable. And if we put this story down and look at our own world right now, we might see the consequences of turning away from God just in different forms, but just as ugly. Do you see it? Here's the moment where we're introduced to these lepers who are outside of the city. They're in the place where everyone has got the same future before them, which is impending death. It's going to happen. They're going to die. And they decide, rather than just perishing there, to come up with a plan. Uh, In verse 3 of chapter 7, we get to overhear their conversation. Listen to what they say. Why should we sit here Until we die. If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. But if we sit here, we shall also die. Therefore, let us desert to the Aramean camp. If they spare our lives, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. This is the strategy of a group that is 100% completely hopeless. It's a plan which reflects their desperation. Let's just walk out toward the enemy encampment. If they kill us, our fate will be no different than if we were to go back in the city or stay here, because the same thing awaits all of us. If we stay on this path, all of us are going to die. Unless some kind of miracle takes place, we're all going to perish. The four lepers, and everyone in the city. Unless there is a miracle, everyone's doomed. Now, this, whether you know it or not, is your reality. And some of you know it. Some of you know that there has been a miracle that has been performed on your behalf, and only because of that miracle, you have been delivered from a fate like life forever in the city of Samaria. I mean those who have come to see that the grace of God has been pronounced over us because of what Jesus has done so that we're free, so that we're delivered, so that we're rescued, so that everything we deeply need is provided for us moment by moment. Some of you know that? In this instance, the only hope for everyone in the city and the lepers is that some kind of miracle happens. And I will tell you, this is a miracle story. Uh, Because the strategy of The lepers, which doesn't work because of them, but only if something extraordinary happens, actually results in an outcome that they wouldn't have anticipated, which is better than they could have hoped because God did something miraculous. I want you to look at what happens after they hatch this plan. This is in verse five. So they arose at twilight to go to the Aramean camp. Use your imagination. It's beginning to darken. They leave behind the city. And they begin to descend down the side of the mountain, approaching what most likely will be their doom. But there they go, and look at what happens. When they came to the edge of the Aramean camp, there was no one there at all. They arrive at the tents, which are supposed to be filled with the enemies. Listen now, the very enemies whose presence has been ruining life for everyone in the city. But when they get there, there's no more enemies. Instead, there are tents as far as the eye can see. And in each and every tent are all the supplies that were meant to sustain an entire army for many months. But there's no one there to resist their taking everything they need and anything they could ever want. And there they stand upon the discovery that by some miracle, they are now totally free and their entire situation has been transformed. And listen now, listen to me. This is true, right now about where we are, and some of us know it and others of us do not know it. What happened is that as they got up and began to leave the city behind, God made a decision to do something so that all of the trouble would be lifted without any participation from his people. And even though they had turned away from him, simply because of his grace, he decided to give everyone another chance. And what he did is he made the sound of chariots and horses ring out in the ears of all of the soldiers in the tents as those lepers were on their way so that they became terrified. They stood up and they all fled to try to save their own lives. There was no army, but God made them think there was and God's allowed to do that. And having done that, he created the situation which changes everything for everyone without their participation because of his grace. Do you see that? Yes? Imagine yourself in that position for a moment. I want you to, I want you to imagine that all your life long, you've had to beg. And now you're standing at a tent and you open it up and there is a feast in there that only could belong to a conquering army. And there it is for you. And right next to it is another tent. And then beside that, there's another. And not only are they filled with food, but there's treasure Because armies plunder the the people they defeat. And there it is, gold and silver and jewels and everything you could ever want is right there. Why? Because you tried to concoct some... Uh, ridiculous plan, and not because you did anything, but God decided to change everything. That is where those lepers stood. And here, I want you to understand this morning that in f- order for you to understand the image of what Paul says we are, which is ambassadors for Christ, you have to hear me. You stand in exactly the same place in reality in your life right now, whether you see it or not, not because you've done anything especially good, not because you've come up with a plan, or you've conquered the enemy, which was ruining everything for any everyone, but because God God himself has decided by an act of supreme power and mercy to destroy the enemy that was ruining your life and all of our lives so that we are free to have everything we want. You stand in the same place as those lepers. Do some of you see it? Lepers are very quiet on Sunday morning at church. The New Testament, the theme of the New Testament, please listen to this. The theme of the New Testament is the story of what God decided to do to destroy the enemy that was ruining life for the creation that he made and loves. That's what the story of the New Testament is. It's the story of God's heart breaking generation after generation, watching the people walk away from him to their own detriment, and then deciding to come in person in Jesus so that the enemy that was ruining life for the whole of creation would finally be ruined and wrecked and destroyed and crushed. That's the story of the New Testament. Can you tell I like that story? Paul writes the letter to the Corinthian church to try to tell them the truth about who they are so they would wake up to see themselves so that they could live the mission that he has for them in the world. He writes a second letter to the church in Corinth. That's 2 Corinthians. And now we get to see in it the image that should Uh, elevate our self-understanding so we know who we are so that we can be what God wants us to be so the world that he loves can have what it needs to have. In 2 Corinthians 5, uh, down in verse 19, listen to what Paul says. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's what God was doing in Christ. Uh, We we Christians believe that Christ was Emmanuel, God with us, and so God himself was present in Christ. And what was he doing? He was reconciling the world. In Greek, it's kosmos. That's the entire creation, reconciling it to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That is, God who knows everything, uh, the ledger with all of your misdeeds and my misdeeds and every person's misdeeds, all of the people in ancient Samaria who turned away from him and all of us, that record, that accounting of all of our failures, God has decided to set it aside, definitively to say no to that record, no uh, from now on, and instead, look, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. That is a concise expression of what our mission is. That is that God did his part, reconciling the world. And now he's given us our part, which is that we've been entrusted with a message. He goes on to unfold it. So, and here's the image. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is Paul's way of reflecting on the reality that has changed because of what God has done and knowing the position that now it puts anyone in here who believes it. The the position that it puts us in, he tells us who we are. We're ambassadors uh, and and we're ambassadors uh, of Christ. So let's start there. Let's narrow in on this phrase. We are ambassadors for Christ because of what God has done and because you have been given to know it now God has decided to trust you with a specific task. To be an ambassador means to carry out to where it is unknown the news of what God has done, where it is known. The citizens of Corinth will have no problem with this figure since they live in a time when the Roman emperor often sends figures of authority in his name, bearing his power, not their own, into cities where they live in order to communicate and make his decrees plain and present. An ambassador is an official representative sent by the highest authority figure to a foreign land with with a task given by the sender. Here, Paul wants you to see yourself as sent by God in Christ with a specific task. What's the task? Look at that phrase again. The message of reconciliation. And this is our task. It is to be the bearers of a message. Notice, we're not to be the accomplishers of reconciliation. Sometimes Christians get it in their minds that they're the ones who are supposed to make something which hasn't happened yet, happen. And that's not our responsibility. It's rather to bear a message of something which God has done. What is the content of the message? It is reconciliation. In Greek, that is the word katalason. And it means literally, to change or to exchange. And it's a relationship word. It's used to depict the coming together of two parties who had experienced a falling out. When one of them goes and makes an effort to exchange animosity for friendship. When one goes ahead and says, I'm going to put beside, behind me wrath and instead I'm gonna embrace love. When there is a decision to exchange guilt for innocence, when darkness is exchanged for light, when death is turned over for life and the message of the gospel is that God came in Christ to make an exchange that benefits every single one of us so that rather than bound and miserable and suffering from endless scarcity, all of us are provided with everything we need with new life with God's spirit with renewal that makes us all together new creations so that we can leave everything behind us behind us and we can embrace the present in which we are unexpectedly the beloved sons and daughters of God most high why because God has decided in Christ to reconcile us to himself do you see it it doesn't excite you as much as it excites me or, or you show your excitement differently. I spit and I leak and I shout, you, you're, you nod. And that's okay, listen, listen to me, please listen. This is critical. The subject who is responsible for reconciliation, and this is critical for understanding the nature of the message, is never, ever men and women who are lost and broken. They're never the ones who are responsible for doing the reconciling. They can't, and I, excuse me, I can't, no, none of us can. We're too hopeless and broken to reconcile ourselves to God. We're like people who are starving in a city who can't even get a donkey's head to eat and are devouring each other in our desperate plight. That's who we are. We're like lepers who have no hope at all, but God came and reconciled us to himself. And that is here and it is everywhere you read in the Bible. It is that we were enemies and even when we were enemies, God decided in Christ to die so that he would save us. And Paul can't even believe it when he writes about it in Romans. Rarely will anyone dare to die for a friend, but God shows his love and that's the motivation that drives God, the reconciler in relationship to us. In his love, he shows us that we, even when we were enemies, were worthy of the death of God in Christ and he did that because he wanted to save us and rescue us. And he has done it. What should you do? Well, don't you dare get yourself tangled up thinking you're supposed to make it happen. You can't. Any more than the people in Samaria can chase away those enemies who are choking the life out of them. It's not your responsibility and it is not your capability. But the story of the gospel is that God himself has done it. That's the first thing. God is the subject. Who is the recipient of it? This is also critical. God was in Christ reconciling. Did you notice the word again? The world that's who benefits from this, the entire cosmos. Not just the few people who are religiously oriented in just the right way or behave this way or control themselves like this. No, that's not the message of reconciliation is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Do you know that passage? Yes? There are so many like it that make it plain that the, the, the subject who benefits from this is all of us together. That God, God did not die for our sins only, John said, but for the sins of the whole world. You may think, and you should think, well, then why is the world so evil and messed up and broken still? Have you ever thought that? I hope you're thinking it now. If God did that, then why are we still starving? Here, the answer is this. You ready for this? It's that we constantly run back to the city where there's nothing. But the truth about our plight is that we don't need to. That we are free to leave it all behind and go instead out to the tents where there is everything that we could ever require. And the benefit of the lepers is that God has made it by his grace that they get to be the first ones who see the truth. And your benefit, if you'll open your heart to it, is that you get to see that truth for you too. What are you supposed to do, you might think. Here's what you're supposed to do. Go ahead and and eat and take everything that God has given for you. That's all you're supposed to do. You are just free to leave everything behind. And this is what faith is, to trust that everything's there for you and go ahead and accept all of the blessings that God has poured out upon you when he decided in Christ to reconcile you to himself. He made that decision. You may fight it, but he's stronger than you are. And that decision means that the treasure in the tent is yours for the taking. What are the treasures in the tent? Here, I want to be very specific. These are the blessings of reconciliation. And right now, they are for you. And they are, they're for everyone who's here. If you can hear my voice, it means you are one of the many for whom God poured himself out in Christ. And that means the treasures in the tent are yours for the taking. And here's what they are. The treasure in the tent for you is peace with God, who is the ground of your being and the ground of the being of the entire universe. And because he gave himself in Christ, you are free to receive peace with him. And and that means true peace. There is a conscience, that is clean for you, completely and totally free of carrying forward the guilt of every single one of your past transgressions. Even the ones right now that you're ashamed of, you are free to leave them behind. The the, the gifts that come to you in reconciliation is freedom to step off the infinite treadmill of trying to justify yourself, of competing with others, of asserting yourself always as the one who's in the right, of judging other people around you so you feel better about you, of having to coerce or correct people so they conform to who you think they are. You are totally free from that. You can step off that endless treadmill. The, the gift there is the sustaining and supportive gift of being welcomed into a new family. If you look around you, everyone here is, is for you a potential brother, a, a, a potential sister or mother or father in Christ whose bonds are closer than the kindred of blood with spiritual brothers and sisters to travel through life with so that when you have to carry the death of a friend or, or the loss of a loved one or, or, or a racking self-guilt that's too much, you're allowed to invite everyone around you to come and be a companion and carry it with you. And that's a treasure that's yours in Christ. In Christ, you are free to be confident that God is for you so that no matter what or who comes up against you, you are absolutely okay. Even if you don't know anything that happens, if the mountains fall into the sea, if your entire life crumbles around you, you are free to have the relief that comes with knowing you've been adopted by your heavenly father who will provide for you just what you need when you seek his path as a first priority so you don't need to worry about anything anymore. You are given the assurance that as you love God and listen to his call, that everything that happens to you in life will be worked together for your good because that's who he is in relationship to you. You are are given with this treasure, genuine hopefulness for the future. No matter what you lose, that one day when Jesus comes back, his gracious presence will be with you like light that chases away every darkness and God's own hand will be there to wipe away every tear and all grief, sickness, death, pain. None of it will exist anymore and forever. It will just be infinite goodness from now on for you with Jesus and the presence of all those who have accepted this gift forever. That's what the treasures are. Thank you. I want to tell you why I get worked up. Can I tell you that? It's because I need to hear this for me too. I have huge holes in my heart from things that I've lost. And I hate that. I, I have loss every day. And I know a lot of you do too. Right? Some of you are here, and you've lost that person you were married to for 50 years where there's an illness that frightens you. I have those kinds of things that I carry, and I believe this. And it makes me so happy my eyes leak. <laughs> and it does, I, 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 I'm drawn by the Spirit of God to move forward into the future that I trust. Why? Please listen now, because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and now I'm invited to be an ambassador, which means I stand in the same place as those lepers stood. Not proud because I've done something I haven't, but thankful that God has done something. And here's the key, and this is absolutely critical if we'll understand our invitation to see ourselves as ambassadors. God has done something for me that benefits me, but also, and I would say even more importantly, puts me in a position of being responsible for what God has let me know. So that if I don't take responsibility for my knowledge, maybe I can't receive his gifts. And and to put it in terms of Paul's image, if we will not live as ambassadors, but instead attempt in some or any measure to keep it to ourselves, we will not be worthy of the gift we've been given. What happens with the lepers is almost comical, but I think if we put ourselves in their position, maybe we would do the same thing. Uh, As the story unfolds after it dawns upon them that they're the benefactors of God's un unexpected grace and mercy. Uh, and, And they're standing in front of the tents, verse eight, when these leprous men had come to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent, ate and drank, carried off silver, gold, and clothing, watch this, and went and hid them. And of course they went to eat and drink, and they should have, and then they grasped the treasures, which also were theirs, but their instinct to hide what they'd been given, to me makes sense given their experience of living in scarcity all their lives. But when you think of it for a moment, imagine in the dark, there are endless tents as far as can be seen. And then these four desperate men who've been relieved of their burden by God's grace, they eat, but then they start to hide the treasures. Look what happens next. Then they came back, entered another tent, carried off things from it, and went and hid them. Uh, You get the picture? There all their lives long of living without what they needed has made them instinctually inclined to gather up for themselves more than they could possibly need, even when everybody else back in the city who is persisting in their state of starvation no longer needs to. Because what the lepers know is what the people back in the city haven't figured out yet, and that is that the enemy has been vanquished. Do you see the position of responsibility they stand in? Now, here I want us to see this, that as soon as we accept and are invited into the position of receiving the blessings of the tents, we are also in the position of being responsible for sharing the good news that there is enough, there is more than enough for everyone. And that happens to dawn on the lepers. Look, this is verse nine. then they said to one another, what we are doing is wrong. This is a day of good news. Uh, as far as I know, it's the only place in the Old Testament where the phrase good news is expressed like this. And if you know this, the word gospel that we use comes from a Greek word, euangelion, which literally means in Greek, good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, we will be found guilty. Therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. They realize the only sensible response to be uh, to be the recipients of this unexpected grace from God is to go ahead and share it with the person who will let everybody know because otherwise they would bear a guilt that would make them ashamed. And here I want to suggest that for us as people who are invited by Paul to be ambassadors, bearers of this message of reconciliation out into the world, we also should just like these lepers pause and look at ourselves and ask, are there ways in which what we are doing is wrong? Where are we grasping and hiding treasures that are far more than we could need so that instead we could open up the doors and we could go out to those who need so that they also could be invited in? If you're thinking right now, I bet he's got a list, you're right. (laughs) And if you're wondering, is it three? Is it four? Wrong, wrong, five? No, six, okay, so... It's gonna be high gear because I've got 30 seconds for each one. Here are things that we might do which are wrong. First, every impulse in us to treat the church as if it's primarily ours is wrong, just like the lepers were wrong. The moment we come into this place and enjoy it, as many of you have, and, be, and become thankful for it, as I also am thankful for it, as you are, and then look askance at someone new who comes into our church, and there's not enough room for them after all, and I liked it more before they were here, we need to say what we are doing is wrong because this is a day of good news. And instead, we should open the door wide to anyone who wants to come in. 34 seconds. Number two, using our resources, especially our money, as if it's all for us, is wrong. Uh, the truth about the church throughout history is that over and over again, it's been tempted to gather its resources and use them as if they are, first of all, for everybody who's already here. And there are some ugly examples of that in fine golden church buildings where there are poverty-stricken uh, people all around. And here I must say, already I've seen you be ambassadors. Uh, we heard the announcement: fifty-six thousand dollars given away for water somewhere else. Way to go! Keep it up. Any time we begin to think about our resources as if they're just for us, like these lepers, we should say what we are doing is wrong. Here's the third thing: behaving as if we are the judges who determine who is worthy of the treasures would be acting in such a way that would be altogether wrong. Do you know what I mean? As if those lepers would say, okay, we get to decide now who's allowed to come in to the tents and go out with the treasures that are here. That is not their job, and it never, ever will be our job. Our only job is to bear the message that said God has provided everything that you need, and then with open hands be judicious and free in who we enable to come and take. Here's number four. And this is one form of withholding the treasure, refusing to talk to the people around us about Jesus and what he has done for any reason would be wrong. I know that many of you have good reasons not to talk about Jesus. In school, they'll make fun of you. Right at the office, you may not get promoted. In the neighborhood, they might label you or your family might push you away. Fine, don't talk about Jesus in a way that makes people disgusted and push you away. But here we are invited to be able to say to the people around us, why do I have this hope in me? Why am I not undone by circumstances that would undo others? Why do I seem always to have spiritual food that sustains me? It's because Jesus is my king and he's given me everything I need. You can say that. They look at you like you're strange, say, I don't know, I can't explain it, but that's the truth. And you're free to do that and invited to do that here. Uh, Fifth, it would be wrong for us to have any attitude of superiority or condescension or holier than thou to people who don't look or feel or act or behave or believe like we do. Uh, Try to imagine for a moment those lepers sort of standing proud for what they did, and that's about how foolish we look anytime we look down on others who don't think or believe like we do about Jesus Uh, The first priority in God's gift of himself was never the belief or the behavior of any person because if it was, nobody would be the recipient of God's grace. And so we are free by this image to be um, liberal with our distribution of God's love and kindness to everyone and therefore to put aside any attitudes of superiority or condescension. And then the last one that I see here, number six, is that we are free from now on, to no longer be indifferent to the plight of those who are suffering back in the city because they don't know. This puts us on the hook to say, from now on, it's going to be our calling to be the bearers of this message in the world. And it's the very best gift to be able to bear, to bear the truth that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself in a world that is starving, even though it doesn't need to anymore. If you look with me at the end of the passage uh, there in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, you'll see this phrase, we entreat you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. This is Paul's way of saying on behalf of Christ, for goodness sake, go and take everything that is yours from those tents. Feed yourself and be strong. That's what it means to be reconciled to God so so that you can carry forward the mission that he's given you as an ambassador. That is fuel yourself for the mission to go and share this good news. And friends, that's our calling, to be ambassadors of Christ with the good news that the world needs to be made aware of so that it can be free from the starvation that is utterly unnecessary. Uh, Would you be willing to see yourself as a leper with me? Yes or no? Yes, okay, all right lepers, let's pray. God, we thank you for your great and miraculous deliverance in Christ. We thank you for every treasure which is ours because of your benevolence. We thank you for peace and freedom. We thank you for new life and for forgiveness. We thank you for renewal and deliverance. Uh, We pray now that uh, with this great and glorious revelation being made known to us, that we ourselves would see uh, every opportunity to be ambassadors for your goodness and that we would move out into the world that as yet does not know of what you've done so that we can be your instruments bearing this message effectively and you can use us to make it known in places where it is not yet revealed. God, we love you and thank you. And we ask for our hearts to be open to your blessings now in Jesus' name.